Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our second episode of 2024, and I'm in Nashville today with the team planning for Fiber Connect 2024, which will be held here at the Gaylord on July 28th to 31st. Uh, but hey, before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. You know, on Monday, this Monday, June, January 8th, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel sent a letter to the Congress alerting them that the $14.2 billion Congress appropriated for ACP, the Affordability Connectivity Program, will run out in April. And she requested $6 billion to fund the program for the remainder of the year. If this additional funding is not appropriated, the SEC will begin to wind down the program for the 23 million Americans, 23 million Americans that are currently participating. You know, the White House also issued a state-by-state fact sheet with data on how many families are enrolled in ACP in every congressional district. You know, we expect bipartisan legislation to be introduced today that would allocate $7 billion in addition, additional funding for ACP. The legislation will be introduced by Senators uh, Peter Welsh from Vermont, J.D. Vance from Ohio, and Representatives Yvette Clark from New York and Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. This is an issue that impacts every congressional district, and FBA encourages Congress to appropriate this funding to continue this program, which has been an integral, been integral part in enabling low-income Americans to be able to connect to the internet and participate in all aspects of our economy and society. You know, our coming up our first regional Fiber Connect workshop is coming up quickly on February 8th in Richmond. And we have an amazing lineup of speakers, including Joey Wender from Treasury, who has a billion dollars left to spend of his $10 billion capital projects fund. And also uh, former FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, will be joining us along with another great lineup of speakers. So registration for Richmond is open. Uh, it's gonna sell out, so please register ASAP. Um, in addition to Richmond, we'll be followed in April in Little Rock, Deer Valley, Utah in um, June, Des Moines in September, Albuquerque in November, and then, of course, the big granddaddy Fiber Connect 2024 conference in Nashville uh, here on July 28th to 31st. This brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with Tyler Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of Broadband Now in a session titled Broadband First, Access to Fiber Internet Surpasses 50% of U.S. Homes. So this is a new research. You know, last week on Fiber Breakfast, we had Kevin Robinson, the president and CEO of the Wi-Fi Alliance. He discussed Wi-Fi 7 plus 5 are delivering the next generation of home connectivity. You know, Kevin shared with us how Wi-Fi 7 is built to handle more demanding applications such as AR and VR gaming and in the home and industrial IoT requirements that flow into fiber. These new applications will require higher bandwidth and low latencies. So two characteristics built into Wi-Fi 7 will make it optimal for pairing with fiber multi-gigabit services. 
So it was a great session. If you missed it, you know, please watch the replay or listen to the podcast. Today on Fire for Breakfast, our guest is Tyler Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the Broadband Now. And uh, he's going to be talking about broadband first. Access to fiber internet surpasses 50% of U.S. homes. You know, Tyler's Broadband Now's chief uh, editor-in-chief, and he has over a decade of telecom experience and is a featured speaker in conferences like Net Inclusion 2020. And his expertise spans digital inclusion, municipal broadband, telecom legislation, emerging technologies, and the societal impact of broadband. Internationally recognized, Tyler's work includes publications such as Venture Beat and Tech Radar, Digital Trends, and The Next Web. He's been featured in Vice, Fox News, Voice America, and other outlets addressing broadband issues like digital divide, net neutrality, cybersecurity, and internet access since 2015. So welcome, Tyler. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and I think we'll have a great Q&A at the end of this session. So with that, I will turn things over to Tyler. Awesome. Gary, well, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you and Mia and the entire FDA team for having me. Um, this is great. So yeah, we can just jump right in. Um, so yeah, today I want to talk about a, a sort of first uh, for the broadband industry. So access to fiber internet surpassing 50% of US households. And really this is going to kind of be a, a, a multi-pronged um, look at this, but, but basically, something that we have been doing. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about um, fiber or why it's so great. There's uh, many talented people who could probably ex explain that better than I can. And we all kind of probably agree on that front. Um, so instead, I just wanna kind of look at where we're at um, and maybe take a look at sort of a, a new approach at how we're kind of trying to measure this and see the progress as we move forward into the, the beat era. So uh, a quick, we can go to the next slide, a quick uh, breakdown. So. What is broadband now? You can actually advance there. Shouldn't be any. Uh, okay, yeah. So started in uh, 2015. So back in 2015 by two frustrated guys right here in Austin, Texas. The main goal was basically just making finding good internet service easier. So this was around the time the uh, federal broadband map, the national broadband map rather was uh, defunded. So our first task was essentially rebuilding that. Uh, and the goal was to make kayak.com for internet service. So essentially a consumer tool where people could go in, type an address in and see what was available. Uh, so we did that uh, and we sort of built out this massive database of plans and pricing along the way. And so fast forward to today and we have, uh, yeah, over 8 million visitors every year. We have 1.5 billion rows of data that we've processed in our internal database to sort of build a mosaic of plans and pricing across the nation. Um, and a small editorial team comprised of writers, researchers, and data scientists working to better understand the digital divide and how it impacts us all and what we can do about it. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to lead the uh, editorial team for the past four years. And uh, the next slide, we've been fortunate enough to be featured all over the internet. Um, and it's been a great uh, experience. So part of what we do is taking this sort of data set we've built out over the past 10 plus years really on um, the plans and pricing and also access and sort of we realized early on that we could be doing much more with that data than just sort of presenting it to consumers. So the research side over the past five years has really been our effort to kind of contribute to the conversation more and um, publish open data sets in the, an area where there uh, historically isn't so much. So before we kind of dive into 
um, the, the study findings, which uh, this study actually came out uh, late last year, you should be able to find a link uh, somewhere in the show notes here, I believe. Um, but this basically we were looking at fiber access versus fiber adoption or penetration. And so most of you are going to be really familiar with this, but just a quick breakdown. So access in this case refers to the availability or presence of fiber optic cable. So the ability to actually subscribe to a service where, you know, at, at the address versus penetration or adoption in this case quantifies the adoption rate of fiber. So the proportion of population that actually uses or subscribes to fiber optic out of those with access. So a high penetration rate in an area with ample fiber access suggests that much of the population is leveraging the technology that's available to them. So with that little bit of uh, level setting out of the way, thank you. So measuring broadband penetration is difficult. Um, so, you know, there's a variety of approaches that people have taken that are sort of well-documented and well-established. We're, we're kind of trying something new this year. So essentially what we've done is we've created a machine learning algorithm that is capable of inputting raw speed test data at scale and determining which of the tests were run on a fiber connection due to the unique performance benchmark the technology exhibits. So symmetrical upload, download, latency, round trip time. So through our internal testing of this, we found that the algorithm has an accuracy rating of 95% and we're actively working to improve it every day. This is sort of just another tool in our stable of tools to be able to better understand the true state of where we're at in the nation. So honing in on fiber. So the way we sort of approach this for this, this is our first time doing it this way, is we used our internal fabric of nationwide broadband availability data. Uh, and we've created four snapshots essentially of fiber availability ranging from December 2021 to June 2023. We then analyzed uh, MLAB speed test data for a two month period around each snapshot, each of the four, totaling nearly 300 million speed tests in total for this study using, again, our previously mentioned machine learning algorithm, random forest algorithm, to determine whether each speed test was done on a fiber connection. So you can see this, uh, this graphic here, this is sort of the result of our penetration across states that we found. Uh, the full studies should be, again, available if you want to check this out. This is an interactive element on our site. Um, but yeah, let's let's kind of break down first. Let, let's talk through access before we talk through the, the penetration side. Fiber access uh, continues to increase. This probably isn't a surprise to many of you on this, uh, watching this. So there's been a, a marked increase in average access to fiber over the past several years. So starting at around 45.89% in December 20, 2021, uh, we've risen to 55.61 by our count in June 2023. So a steady increase in fiber, this kind of feels pretty intuitive, I think. It's Fiber is being deployed. Uh, there is certainly fiber going in every uh, every year, and there's probably many of you watching this right now who are doing that work on the ground. So uh, that's amazing. On the uh, penetration side, the adoption side, though, what we found in this data set, uh, go to the next slide, is that the sort of adoption rate has remained pretty stable uh, as the technology has been deployed. So. Uh, steady growth in the fiber market, um, the sort of adoption rate proportional to those have access, according to this data, is, remains relatively flat. So in some areas, what this could suggest to us is that there's sort of a, a market saturation in areas where providers have fiber, but more likely what it means is that more efforts are needed to convince users with existing legacy connect, uh, legacy technologies to sort of make the switch to fiber. Many people have connections that they just think are good enough. And uh, as I'm sure previous episodes of this show have highlighted, there's technologies and use cases coming that only fiber um, is suited for. 
so what we found is that the the sort of penetration rates has a pretty high degree of variability across states so many states like alaska new mexico arizona have a very high rate of fiber um, adoption or penetration whereas other states have a very low north dakota vermont montana uh, based on the speed test data we're seeing so you know i think more than anything it, it seems like obviously uh, you know you can look at the full study there, there's a an urban and rural disparity in terms of access of course in terms of the infrastructure that's being deployed uh, obviously there are people less people in rural communities that have access to fiber still in general once fiber access is provided rural populations seem as eager to adopt fiber connectivity as their urban counterparts so we actually sort of looked at the the penetration rate across them and they're both pretty pretty standard once fiber is deployed people tend to be pretty excited to get it um, but the sort of the, st the steady growth in fiber access you know i think this is something that really just underscores the fact that fiber is a technology that over the last several years has been prioritized in a number of ways obviously with the bead grant process that's sort of shown a light on fiber but also just over the last several years since covid um, i think for the first time people are sort of paying more attention to their connection and sort of understanding its limits and understanding that a technology like fiber is um, really the only future-proof technology going into the future. And I think for a lot of people, this is the first time they've really had that kind of forward-thinking view, which I think presents a great opportunity for those of us talking about fiber and talking about the benefits. I think that um, largely this is a messaging challenge in many ways. You know, it's really just kind of getting the message out about what makes fiber unique. Um, yeah, and, and as far as the disparity in penetration rates um, that we see, that others see in various areas, I think it suggests, you know, varying levels of infrastructure development across states, policy implementation and prioritization among states. Uh, states with higher penetration levels might have benefited from early investments, favorable policies, or just a higher demand for advanced communication infrastructure, and also might just benefit from better messaging. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to the future, I think what this signals is efforts to deploy fiber, again, are largely effective. It's happening all around the country every single day. Um, but, you know, we probably need to be doing more to educate consumers on the unique advantages and longevity needed. Um, so that way we can sort of continue to increase. I think over the next several years, uh, we'll see fiber adoption explode, um, is my personal opinion. I think that you know, as more and more consumers sort of become privy to some of the world-changing, frankly, technologies that are being deployed today and in the next five, 10 years, I think more people than ever will sort of become cognizant of the limitations of their technology and what they're using. And I think it's, uh, you know, a, all of our responsibility to help get that message out and help consumers understand why fiber is the way forward. Well, Tyler, um, you know, as, as we've talked about, um, I think, you know, broadband now has a great set of consumer tools and I like using it a lot to find out, you know, um, what you guys are saying about different communities and who has um, providing broadband and stuff like that. So it's very uh, user friendly. Um, so unfortunately, the um, I guess this analysis, your algorithms kind of stuck on really what the speed test. So it's the MLAB speed test is kind of the the, the weak link in that. And so. Um, what, what can you do? Because let me just put in perspective. So our studies show that fiber penetration, our availability is 51.5%. So you said 55%. So, um, you know, 
fairly close. You're a little bit overstated. You know, we're pretty accurate on ours. So, you know, I think that part sounds close. Um, our penetration rates, um, our studies show 44, little over 44% penetration rate across. And what we see is a little bit of lag in that, you know, as soon as fiber is available, it takes some time for people to be able to get it subscribed and be able to get their house, the drops with their house and so forth. So there is a little bit of lag to the, the second someone passed your house with fiber to actually being able to get connected. You also, some people have to unwind from whatever contracts and so forth. Um, but what we are seeing is that when, as people churn, um, that fiber is, you know, gaining uh, about 15% of market share uh, as people churn. And um, where it's taken away from is largely cable, 14% uh, market share loss from cable. Um, DSL used to be the biggest area of loss, but I guess there's less of that out there. Um, so we're, you know, our, our data, and, you know, I, I think I've explained this to you, but our, our the way that our studies have done is we actually take consumer surveys, service provider surveys, sur surveys, and public um, um, data. So like for instance, the CEO, John Sankey of AT&T, who's deployed, they're gonna be deploying 30 million homes of fiber. They've had 22 at the end of, 22 million homes at the end of 2022, um, reported to JP Morgan um, in March that they were seeing double the take rates of their business case. And typically business cases are in the 30 to 40% range. So, and then I, uh, interesting, um, my friend, the, uh, the state broadband director for Vermont kind of chimed in here too, saying you showed 0.4% in Vermont where her data is 30% penetration. So seems to be you're on the right track, but that there seems to be some fine tuning that needs to go on here. Yeah, certainly. I mean, first of all, everything you just said, absolutely valid, 100%. I think that the the big approach here that we're doing at the state the state level is really trying to figure out how to how to use different sort of sort of openly publicly available data sets to kind of process this. So obviously, what we're looking at is again through MLab data, what we're seeing sort of pruning out speed test data and figuring out what the technology is. It's a different approach, and absolutely, I think there's more work to be done on the state level trying to figure out, first of all, how to increase that sample size on a state-by-state -state level to sort of get better results. It, it's interesting. I'd actually really love to connect um, and, and maybe see a little more about uh, how Vermont is approaching that, because that's, I mean, that's that's a big difference, and I think that it's well worth looking into and kind of bringing back to the team. But the the basic idea here was that we're we're historically pretty focused on the access side, I think, as far as our, our data and our tools go. So most of what we do is sort of specifically geared around helping consumers figure out what's available. So, you know, trying to figure out sort of penetration and adoption. This is, you know, we're, we're sort of taking an outside perspective on this. This is, this is not, you know, we're not typically too, um, you know, uh, focused on figuring out, uh, you know, the market and kind of who has what and, and how services are doing. I think providers and uh, many people such as yourself are probably better equipped to do that. I think what we're trying to do is really just leverage again, open data sets and try to figure out maybe even just what those data sets are showing, right? Uh, figure out kind of maybe the limitations of open speed tests in general or figure out kind of what we're finding. And then obviously, yeah, there's, there's always gonna be room for improvement in our own 
uh, process for sort of determining fiber and figuring out, um, you know, what a fiber connection constitutes. You and I talked before the show, and there's, you know, there's a wide amount of, of variability in terms of the performance of a fiber connection, right? They all kind of have a pretty unique um, common ground being the symmetric, you know, speeds and the sort of latency and round trip time, but connection speeds can range super widely and have a lot of overlap with things like cable. So, yeah, I think this is this is great feedback for us. This is the first in a series of these sort of analysis that we're going to be doing, looking at um, speed test data and correlating it to our own availability data. So, um, super helpful, honestly, and, and honestly, we're just happy to share and, and get this feedback. Yeah, I just got a note back here from. Christine, the state broadband director in Vermont, and they're happy to connect and help. Because I oh, think this great. tool is really valuable. Um, if we can help to, you know, find either other data points or a way to increase the sample size at the MetLab, MLab um, uh, speed test, because that's one data point. The other area of weakness, possibly, you know, last week we had Wi-Fi Alliance, and I know I experienced this. You know, I had um, at my house in Alabama, I have uh, AT&T fiber, so I have a gigabit, and I was getting less than five megabits on my at my computer, mm. and I'm like, what in the world? And so I, you know, then I, I was able to sectionalize it because I was able to use the regular speed test that showed for my computer, but then I also was able to AT&T had it to my basically um, ONT, so right. I was able to see that I had 970 megabits to my house. But I was only getting five megabits to my computer. So the first thing I had to do is I had an old gateway. So I had to get AT&T bring a new gateway. And then I had to go into uh, a Wi-Fi 6 mesh network. And it got me up to about 300 meg. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we are sipping to a straw with Wi-Fi. And anybody that doesn't have the latest Wi-Fi mesh uh, network, and hopefully we'll get Wi-Fi 7 here and even be better. But we're – so when you do your um, – MLab speed test, is that going from, does that include the Wi-Fi connection? Uh, so MLab data, I believe, is correcting for for sort of the, the, the raw Wi-Fi output, but I'll have to look into it. But yeah, I think you're, you're right. I mean, in general, people tend to run those speed tests also when they're having an issue, right? Kind of like what you just described. So I think that that's, that's certainly a limitation of speed test data is that it's something where, you know, People tend to run those not when they're super happy with their connection or when you know that everything is good, but when they're trying to diagnose an issue. So that's definitely a good point. Yeah. Also, can you talk um, a little bit about? I mean, so first of all, I always want to clarify. I'm super encouraged by what you're doing, and I think we can get there where you have some really great, accurate results. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how you know what parameters you use to detect fiber? Uh, yeah, I can talk through a little bit. I'm probably not the, the, the one to answer the super specifics on how the algorithm is uh, pruning out fiber, but basically what we do is look for a few key points. So one being a symmetric upload and download, um, or at least somewhat, uh, it's a breakpoint that we use to determine how close the connection is, and then the latency and round trip time. So basically anything that we can glean from, from a, a speed test that's open data, we kind of built a um, essentially like a, a break point that kind of takes into account multiple variables and then determines that as a fiber connection and we we took this out of a again a snapshot for four different times so four different time periods and we broke it out for each uh each sort of bucket of speed tests that we have and we kind of took the average of all of those great um so tyler also um 
Well, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of questions in. Yeah, so Paul was saying AT&T supporting 38% penetration in Quest, their fiber network. We also talked about the impact of, oh, so what is what impact do you expect that the various wireless solutions, including satellite, will have on the future of fiber deployments? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, satellite has been probably another area that has gained a lot of attention in recent years. I think that, um, you know, technologies like low Earth orbit satellite are certainly a promising um, solution for those in rural communities that don't have uh, a terrestrial network to rely on. Um, yeah, Gary, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think that, um, you know, satellite is, is likely going to be a, a technology that's here for, for quite a while um, to help people in those areas. I think that, you know, often we, we see this conversation framed around like the technology versus fiber. Um, I, I think ultimately something we all kind of intuitively intuitively understand is that fiber is really the again the only future-proof technology to kind of handle many of the emerging use cases um, that we're seeing today things like what you mentioned with even some of the Wi-Fi 7 technologies you know uh, some of those things sort of rely on the the throughput that fiber has um, certainly AR VR uh, smart grids you know really a lot of these things that that require a massive amount of bandwidth uh, obviously those those are not things that are I think it's important to not get lost in the abstract. I mean, obviously, if you don't have any internet and you're in a rural community, um, if you can sign up for something like Starlink, that's amazing, right? Now you actually have functional internet, and that's great. Um, but yeah, I think that fiber, you know, uh, at least as I, I've had it explained to me, I think there's a lot of challenges deploying fiber on a ubiquitous scale. So if we could wake up tomorrow and have 100% of everyone have fiber, no matter where you are, I think that would be amazing. Uh, but there's a lot of challenges to deploying fiber, uh, obviously, in many places, um, especially rural communities. So I think that's really, you know, again, fiber being the gold standard right now, we're, we're fighting a battle on multiple fronts, I think. One, we're trying to make sure everyone just has functional internet, right? We're trying to make sure that people can get online, get connected, do what we're doing now, right? Be able to sort of participate in the, the digital economy. But also sort of looking into the future, we need to be cognizant of the technologies that are going to enable the sort of things that are common practice 10 years from now. Uh, and I think that um, it's probably reasonable to say that fiber is one of the only technologies that's ready to meet that need. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake is Washington using speed as a proxy because, you know, forget about getting connected. We're building critical infrastructure for the future. And if you don't build fiber, you're not going to be able to advance the mobile network. You're not going to be able to, as you said, smart grid modernization, quantum networking, um, you know, the metaverse. So it's really about building critical infrastructure. It's not about meeting minimum speeds. That's why we saw the FCC's CAF program fail, because you were, you know, a race to the bottom doing 4-1 and then 10-1 and 25-3. And, you know, you keep funding the same areas over and over again. And that, you know, that's why RUS has been successful because you know, utility guys know about infrastructure and they build networks that are going to be, you know, last for 50, 100 years. And so, um, but anyway, I, you know, we're out of time. But Tyler, um, again, I'm real excited about the work that you guys are doing at Broadband Now. And um, I think, you know, as we do iterations, I mean, obviously our methodology has been used over 20 years, so we've honed it out. And, and uh, so we have a good baseline, but I think, um, you know, looking at public data and, and, and also, you know, our data, you guys can kind of continue to hone this 
uh, methodology, and um, I think the tool is very valuable. So I really appreciate that, and thanks for sharing your your expertise and what you guys are working on. Also, yeah. uh, hope you guys join us next Wednesday. We're going to have Joey Winder, my buddy from U.S. Treasury, with ten billion dollars. He still has a billion dollars left to give out. Um, and he's also going to be in our Richmond event, but um, he's going to be talking about making a down payment on the administration's goal of affordable, reliable, high-speed internet for all. So you're not going to want to miss that. And I'll see you guys all next Wednesday.